Welcome to the Clubhouse with Shane Bacon. I am your host, Shane Bacon, and we've got a lengthy one for you this week. My pal Joel Klatt at Fox jumps on the talk tour championship in the FedEx Cup and the year that was in 2019. And then we hit on him helping out with the golf team this year at the Opens. And then we got into some college football, just some preview stuff, very top of the surface, but I thought you'd like it. And then we hit on Andrew Luck at the end because Joel Klatt, I felt, would be a great person to touch on Luck. And as a guy that went through some injuries and went through a lot of stuff as a quarterback himself, I thought he was a first-person expert on such a thing, and I thought he made some great points there. This week's Clubhouse, as all of them are, are brought to you by my good friends at Titleist and the new T-Series Irons. They represent an entirely unique approach to iron engineering built from the ground up, powered by breakthrough technology, including new Max Impact they deliver a balance of power and performance unlike anything Titleist has ever made. And yet with one swing, you'll feel that they are 100% pure Titleist. You can visit Titleist.com to learn more about the T-Series irons, the T-100s for precision, T-200 for distance, the T-300 for forgiveness. I've got some T-100s on the way, and they will go immediately in the bag. I cannot wait to get them in play. I played with Brad Faxon and Brett Quigley the last few weeks as we were wrapping up our season uh, and they both had them in the bag and they were loving them. They said everybody's switching immediately to the T-Series irons and you should as well. Make sure you visit Titleist.com. And Joel and I went long. It was a lengthy talk about everything. So I figure why waste your time with me chatting now? Let's get to it. Let's get to the guest. And we welcome back into the clubhouse uh, the lead analyst for Fox's primetime college football games that changed this year. They're at noon. Joel Klatt's going to have to get up earlier this year. First game this week in FAU at Ohio State. You can follow him on Twitter, at Joel Klatt, and he's now got himself a fancy Instagram. That one is Joel underscore Klatt. And Joel, that's what happens when you wait so long to get on the social media train is you got to change your names. You don't even have a consistent social media handle. I know. I'm so old. Um, yeah, it took me a while to get a, a, a into the Insta generation, God. but I do like it more because it's more positive. <laughs> Twitter is just like, it's just like the old Chappelle show. Like, if you have hate in your heart, let it out. Instagram is like actually where like hope and wonder still exist. At, at least there's belief in the good out there. It might be a lie. Your life might be a complete <laughs> might be a complete false false presentation of who and what you are. But hey, at least I can look at it and go, man, that person works out a lot. That is a lot of working out yeah. to do. Uh, I want to ask Instagram about Instagram your... <laughs> is exactly that. It's what you hope your life or wish your life was like, whereas Twitter is, is the angst of the reality of what your life actually is. So it's just bitterness. It is. It's definitely bitter. There was uh, there was some fun Twitter stuff this weekend. Obviously, we got the tour championship. We got Rory versus Kepka. Before we get yeah. to that, personally, you're a guy that, as we all know now, loves golf and was, did a great job this year as a part of our coverage at the Opens. Does the golf go down a whole bunch starting this week? Is are the rounds going to be deducted on your Gen app after uh, after football starts? It's such a depressing moment because I'm so excited for the season, right? I really am, and I love what I do. But I walked away from the course. Uh, when was it? Friday. When it was and it, I, I was like, this is it. This is it. This is it for a while. My I'm handicap, my handicap is about to explode. Yes. And so, you know, I might play, might play, I would say between, I don't know, four and six times the rest of the football season. So it's definitely sad. And my rounds go down like crazy. Although this is when you can uh, get your handicap up a little bit because it's tough to, as you know, uh, listen, this is like lamenting about a, a positive thing, but when you play a 12 or an eight, handicap and you're you know down there and you're you're basically giving them their entire bevy of strokes i don't know how many 12s shoot 78 against me but i just am like you're not a 12 i'm like <laughs> screw you you're not a 12 was that 77 again awesome awesome make sure you plug that one in the uh, in the old phone uh well somebody that, that doesn't have to battle much with strokes in terms of giving them to players is is rory mcelroy and i mean we're coming off the end of the 2019 season, it wraps up with a Rory McIlroy win. Of course, he won the Tour Championship again. He wins the FedEx Cup. And it was, I think, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, I think it was much needed. I mean, this is a guy in Rory McIlroy. The trend was starting when he was playing next to a big-name player in a big moment. He struggled. And I'm just going to roll some off for you, Joel. 
you got to go back to 2016, the Masters, the third round. He was in the final group at Jordan Spieth when Spieth was playing unbelievable. Started the day a shot back of Spieth. He shot 77 and didn't make a birdie. The next year, he's three back of Patrick Reed. Of course, he flags it on two, has that little short one for Eagle, misses that, goes on to shoot 74, wasn't really a factor after that. The Tour Championship last year, playing alongside Tiger, three shots back, goes out in 39, shoots 74, never in the conversation at all, just really just kind of a, a person walking alongside Tiger in that scrum at 18. And then you go to that WGC event playing with Brooks Kepka. He was leading Kepka by a shot, going into the final round. They're paired together. It was this big moment for golf fans to get to see these two head go head to head. And Kepka shoots 65, Rory shoots 71, loses by five. It, 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 Liz, Rory's a guy we've known to be a great front runner. That's how he's won a lot of his major championships. But I think this was a really big moment for him to step up, look Brooks Kepka in the eye, number one player in the world, and take him down on the golf course alongside him. Do, do you agree with that? I mean, he he knew he pointed to that that day in Memphis that you were talking about the WGC with Brooks directly, and he said how disappointing that was and how he wanted to remedy that and fix that and come out there. And he talked about not being able to take the fight to Tiger last year um, in the Tour Championship in that final round and how he was just walking along and how he was probably the only guy not enjoying that walk up the 18th <laughs> um, last year in Atlanta. I would even go to the to the WGC in Austin when he was, you know, played the the match play against Tiger, and he wasn't really in that one either. Right. And here's Tiger, who still, you know, hadn't won the Masters yet. He had won the Tour Championship, but was just slowly getting back into the year. And Tiger beat him pretty soundly um, on on that day in, in Austin. So I think there's lots of of instances that were creeping up into the back of Rory's mind. And maybe it's because that was at the forefront of what we were talking about in the golf media. Um, And then there's one other factor to this. And, and Shane, I think that everybody watches golf. Now this is, this is, there is a point of demarcation in the sports lifespan and it's before tiger and after tiger, we expect our stars to close it out every time, to make the putt every time. That's what we think great golfers do. And and like it or not, if you're Rory, that's the standard for you because of your talent. You know, if you're talented enough to do what he's been able to do and shoot some of the scores that he's been able to shoot, um, win by as many shots as he's been able to win in, in some of the biggest championships on earth, then we expect you to do it as consistently as Tiger used to do it. And, and, I don't know if that's reality. I think that the reality of the sport is more what Rory is giving us, even from insanely talented players. I don't know if you agree with that or not, but I think that it's an expectation management type of conversation for golf fans. Maybe we expect too much from Rory McIlroy um, when we see the type of consistency and greatness that we've seen from Tiger Woods and even from other guys that kind of jump up for a little bit like a Brooks Kepka. But I'll tell you this, Brooks didn't show up yesterday, and I don't see people jumping all, all over his throat. I mean, he was a, somewhat of a non-factor, and he was the one with the one-shot lead, right. if I'm not mistaken. So, um, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's the way we view it, Shane, and, and there's also a little bit of, of Rory needed that, and he certainly addressed that after the round. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up the Kepka thing because you're right. Nobody's really mentioning that he didn't play great with the lead going into it alongside Rory McIlroy and it's funny you talk about perception over reality and Brooks Kepka's ability to burst on the scene winning these major championships if you think about his year this year and I mean he's had an unbelievable year he's probably going to be player of the year it's something we're going to get into but you know he had a chance on 17 and 18 at Augusta to make those birdies and put the pressure on Tiger and the putt on 18 I I can I consistently say is one of the worst putts that you will see under the gun because I mean it wasn't even close to going in and if you think about the way he started on Sunday at the U.S. Open, I mean, you know, he 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 was he got off to such a hot start, and of course, those first seven holes are the holes you can do it at. But then you go to the Open Championship, and and it was a completely reverse. It was a complete reversal of what he did there. It was a brutal start playing alongside J.B. Holmes. And again, I feel like we don't touch on that. I don't know why we don't do it for Kepka, and we tend to do it for Rory. But that seems to be the approach we in the media have for both those players. 
Well, remember, I, I'm going to I'm going to miss the exact number of holes, but Brooks, I want to say, played his last 11 or 13 holes of that Sunday at the U.S. Open and won over par. You know, he yes, yet yeah, did he come out hot? Yes, he did on the easiest holes on the course, and then nothing. You know, after that, <laughs> it was I mean, he, nothing was going. I mean, the putts weren't dropping, and that was kind of a little bit. I mean. It's crazy because these are the two guys that are vying for player of the year. I mean, these are the two guys right. that are going to win it. It's probably going to be Brooks Kepka, but, I mean, there's going to be some rumblings um, from PGA Tour people about what Rory did in those events. And, I mean, I would vote for Brooks Kepka 100 times over 100 considering this season, especially how he played in the major championships. And, and don't you think it's just a matter of – I think that some of the people that are closer to the Tour are going to try to value the Tour Definitely. more. And they're going to look at strokes gained and they're going to look at analytics and they're going to look at the players because there's a disproportionate value on the players from people close to the tour and the network that does the players versus the rest of the golf world and how we value the players championship. It's just an okay event. Great. You know, you can tell me how great it is till the cows come home. It's just not the course is not major championship level. It's a great field. It's a great field. And it, present some amazing theater with the difficulty of those last two holes, but it's just not a great course. And, and you can't tell me now. I know I listen, I understand that it's, it's the next card when brought up when talking about hall of fame or greatness or so right. on and so forth, but I'm voting for Brooks Kepka a hundred times out of a hundred as well. I thought he was more consistent over the course of the season, even though his strokes gain number is not going to be what Rory's was, but, but he did it in the events that, I think history will deem matter more. And and he was right there in virtually every major championship with a chance and got it done in one of them. Um, I, I think it's a Brooks Kepka year. And I, th- I think if you were going to argue, and I know we'll get into this a little bit later as well, I think if you were to, to ask me who was hurt most by the format this year, in the FedEx Cup, I would say it was Brooks Kepka. And you've got to expand on that. Is that just because it's, it was three events just running through right after some of the events he won yeah, out and was playing I well? I just, le- I just I left it open-ended, didn't I? I'm sorry about that. <laughs> you did like the radio. <laughs> that was like the radio thing. I'm very impressed. Like, we'll yeah, be right back. This is coming up next. We'll be right back. <laughs> Joel Klatt first, tells us why Brooks me, Kepka actually had a bad season. Let me tell you about Volvo first. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, I thought that the playoff events, the two playoff events were overvalued for Justin Thomas and Patrick Reed. I thought that the season that Brooks had, regardless of what happened in those playoff events, he should have basically had the lead in the tour championship to start rather than Justin Thomas. I thought that was the only thing I didn't like. I actually really liked the staggered start. I know I might not, I I might be in the minority on that in particular with some of the purists, they hated this this staggered start type of a deal and how we were, you know, just aligning strokes rather than points. I thought it was great. I thought it made yesterday really good. I thought it made the shots more pressure-packed because the players knew exactly what they were for. Brooks Kepka is putting on the 18th hole for the equivalent, and Paul brought it up right away, the equivalent of a million dollars. How many times does anybody have a million-dollar putt in their life? He had one yesterday. Um you can look at the bounce that Rory got on the uh, on the left side of what was it? Was it eight? Yeah, eight. It, when, he, when he pulled that wedge and it looked like it was going to go in the drink. The bill that was a Bill Haas hole because remember that the, the holes everything used to yeah. be flipped. That was the Bill Haas yeah. save hole, and he got he got a great break there too. I mean, that's a that's a what a ten million dollar break. Maybe? I mean, it, it, you know, it, I mean, it was such it was so such a I bounce. I did like that format, but I just thought that the two playoff events going in were overvalued. And, and I thought that they tried to make those too big. They tried to, I think that they try to make it way too much about the playoffs. You know, it's like, listen, it's not the, the playoffs. <laughs> Just let the season roll into the tour championship and then stagger the start. And I think we would have just as good um, kind of, of, a, of a finish to the season. So I thought Brooks should have entered the tour championship with how he played all year with the lead. He should have been in the Justin Thomas position. And that's why I think he was hurt most by the format. Yeah, you know, it's 
I've, I've preached this a lot, and you and I are in total agreement here. There is an agenda to push stuff and make it a bigger deal than it is. You know, what golf has going for it is the players dictate the pressure of the event. We can say all we want about it, but when you really, really get down to the nitty-gritty for these guys, the majors matter more. Somebody like Rory McIlroy is circling the majors. Brooks Kepka is circling the majors. Tiger, Phil, Ricky, on down the line. These guys are circling those events as the ones that mean way more to them, and the money doesn't matter. They could go out there and play for free. It's a little bit like the Ryder Cup. They could make the purse zero dollars for the major championships, and the guys would still play in it knowing what comes with a Masters victory or a U.S. Open title or an Open Championship or a PGA. And I also think that, to your point on the players and your point on this, the FedEx Cup, is it can be great too. It's not a major title. There's no reason to push it out there as such, but – on Sunday, Brooks Kepka and Rory are playing in the finals. We're going to watch that. People are going to watch that. Sports yeah. fans are going to pay attention to that. And I said something on Twitter, again, going back to the positivity of Twitter. I said something about the excitement of Sunday and how pumped I was that we were getting Kepka and Rory again in the final group, especially what I mentioned had just happened at the WGC. And somebody goes, well, the money doesn't matter at all. You know, we're there for the players. I said, well, yeah, that's every golf event outside of majors. I mean, outside of the majors, if it's sure. a great final round leaderboard, you are going to watch it golf fan A, B, and C. And if it's a mediocre leaderboard, you're probably going to watch it. And if it's a terrible one, maybe you won't. But, I mean, golf fans watch good golf and good players play it no matter the circumstance. Yeah, I, listen, I'm, I'm in full agreement with that. And and I get it from a business standpoint and, and the tour in particular and, and maybe some of the networks, they've got to try to drum up support. <clears throat> but when you have it, you know, I, I don't know. I, I guess I when you've got a great championship at hand, it speaks for itself, you know? And so... I was all in yesterday, whether it was for 15 million or not. Right. The same I was watching Memphis. Um, that's just the way. I don't. I don't know if that makes us like golf junkies versus just the casual golf fan. Does the 15 million make it more interesting to the casual golf fan? I'm not sure. I do think it's interesting when you're talking about the back nine and you're seeing these guys that are the best players in the world, and they've they've like Xander Shoffley hit a really average shot, I believe, into the, uh, what was it? Oh, I can't, now, 16th hole? I'm so bad at which hole it was. Well, but yeah, he had a wedge. It's the, it's the and, pressure, I mean, yeah, I, I agree. Like 45 feet, and I'm like, <laughs> well, that's because he's playing for millions of dollars. So all these people that all, and that's another tw Twitter tough guy muscles. The money doesn't matter to these guys. Yes, it does. <laughs> Fifteen million matters to anybody. Yes, of course it does. <laughs> I don't care if it's Brooks Kepka or not, and that he's made you know six million dollars this year or however much he's made. Let's just say, for sake of argument, Brooks Kepka has made ten million dollars this year off the course and on the course, and he's got a putt yesterday for the equivalent of a million dollars. He makes it. He makes four and a half. He misses it. He makes three and a half. You might think, well. Puh. Who cares? Four and a half, three and a half. It's a billion dollars. Right. If he's made ten, that's a tenth of his income. I'm going to put you on the green for a tenth of your income and see how you feel about it. Well, it's it's like I was watching Million Dollar Listing last night, and these homes are in New York. It's fifteen six, and the person that's trying to buy it is like, no, I want to offer fifteen four, and it's like. Well, they can afford a fifteen million dollar home, but they're not going to pay two hundred thousand more than they want to pay just because they have fifteen million to spend. They're just not going to. And you know, it's it's like I, like the the whole telling, like explaining things to people. It's this is serious pressure because this is serious money for Rory McIlroy, yes. Brooks Kepka, or anyone. It is it is life changing yes. money for people that are, have already made life changing money, and that is why I think that the FedEx Cup works, and why I think that when people complain about the FedEx Cup, they're just complaining because, again, it's talked to them too much. I mean, it's almost the tour's fault at times that they have to shove it down your throat as the ultimate test. If it was just what it is, this is a ton of money for these players, this is a life-changing event, and this is as important to them in their careers as anything else, then I think people could watch it and go, this is great drama, because you you nailed it. 
there were some awful golf shots hit on the second nine yesterday, and I feel like you don't even see that in majors at times when guys completely right. fall apart. I mean, guys were hitting bad wedges. You think about the last hole, Xander misses that putt for birdie, then Kepka has that fairly easy up and in for birdie and doesn't pull that off. You know, these they're thinking about it. They can't think about anything else. They're not going to win the event, so they're probably going, man, I wonder right. how much this putt's worth. Well, and, and, and I will tell you, I know enough, and you know enough tour players as well, you know, when you talk about like the, the top 10 guys in the world or top 20 guys in the world, they're probably going to be fine, you know, and, and be back at this stage, maybe year in and year out. But it isn't a guarantee. Think of guys like Anthony Kim and Hunter Mahan who have played at this level and, and Anthony Kim no longer in the sport takes the, the insurance money. Hunter Mahan is playing in the Corn Ferry finals. Nice. You, no you way. Know, By I mean, way, proud of you on the Corn so Ferry call. It, it, it's just, well, it's just it doesn't always work out every year. So I'm not saying that Brooks Kepka in the back of his mind is like, i got to make as much money because I don't know if I'm going to be a good player in the future. But golfers know that in the back of their mind. This is a sprint for them. They, they know it's difficult. I'm good friends with Brendan Steele. You know that. I play a lot of golf with him. You, you're buddies with Max Homa. You play golf with him. Max had a great year this year. He won. What a life-changing event that is for him because now he gets to, you know, get into some of the events that maybe he wouldn't get into normally. Well, Brendan is not getting into those events now. After being a top 30 player in the world, he finishes 170, whatever, ninth in the FedEx Cup. And there's pressure, man. There's pressure. This is no guarantee for these guys. They literally have to perform. It is not a contract. They have to perform or they're out. So when you give them the chance to roll out there and make $15 million, and not only that, but you know, second place is making a boatload, third place is making a boat, everybody's making money, they're, they're going to feel the pressure. And I do, I do feel like the, the last nine holes yesterday was incredibly entertaining because of the money. And that's why I liked the staggered start is because these guys knew exactly what they were doing and what it was for when they were hitting these golf shots. Yeah, I mean, you make a great point. I mean, Jordan Spieth, you know, if you'd have bet me Jordan Spieth wouldn't make the Tour Championship two years in a row, I mean, I would have called you crazy, and Jordan Spieth was at a level that we're seeing Kepka and Rory and these guys at right now, and all of a sudden, you know, the, the swing gets loose and the putts aren't dropping, and you're not making it to these points. You're not making the money you were making four or five years ago. And to your point again, Jordan Spieth isn't worried about money, but this is their livelihood, and this is what they do. And this is why you see guys on the Champions Tour play till they're 62, 63, 64, because they're used to a lifestyle that they want to keep up. It makes sense. It's anybody yeah. in business. I mean, if you turn 60 yeah. and I said, Joel, you're never going to get to do TV again, you'd be thinking, well, I've had a good career. It's been great, but i got to figure something else out to do. I'm not just going to sit around for the next 25 years yeah, you'd probably just yeah. play golf. What every am I, day, to be what fair. am I going to do for money? <laughs> what am I going to do for money? I'd probably play golf. You play, you play so much golf. Uh, just to touch on the player of the year thing, uh, Kepka season, twenty-one starts, three wins, of course, including the PGA Championship, nine top tens, thirteen top twenty-fives, tie for second at the Masters, one at the PGA, second alone at the U.S. Open, tie for fourth at the Open Championship. I believe he's the fifth player that's ever finished in the top five in all the all the majors in one season. Joining Jack, Jack, Tiger, Ricky, and Jordan Spieth, I believe, are the other four. Rory, 19 starts, three wins, 14 top 10s, 16 top 25s. It's pretty ridiculous. Uh, didn't play great at the majors. In 19 starts? In 19 insane. starts, 16 top 25s, and two missed cuts. So one event through the weekend, he didn't finish in the top 25 when he made the cut. Is, uh, is fairly remarkable. Feels like That feels like Tiger numbers there. Tie for 21st at the Masters, T8th at the PGA, T9th at the U.S. Open, and of course missed the cut at the Open in Northern Ireland, which actually ended up being a positive for Rory considering the press he got and the way he handled that whole situation. But, I mean, I, I'm with you, and I don't think we have to talk too much about it. I'm, I'm going Kepka just with the way he played in the big events. Well, and, and I think that regardless of how Rory handled this situation in Port Rush, I think that that was still a massive disappointment for, for golf sure. fans. You know, and, and so Brooks didn't give us one of those this year. You know, you, you say to a golf fan, you say like Brooks Kepka 2019, and they're just going to be like, oh, what an amazing year. Yeah. 
you say Rory McIlroy 2019, they would say, ah, and then you would have to be like, well, look at his strokes gained. Look at his top right. 10. Look at his <laughs> top 25. When you got to dig up strokes gained stats. Right. But you do, you know, no, for and that's sure. a lot. Of, I've heard a lot. I've seen a lot of the people on Twitter, you know, some of the, I was like, well, this has been the best strokes gained season that we've seen in Fiji. Dale Tiger didn't do it. And I'm like, okay, we get it. Like I get it with the analytics, but sometimes you just have to vote on feel and, and all you have to do is, and I call it like the, the guy on the bar theory, right? You you walk into a bar, you find a casual golf fan and you say, who had the better year? Roy McIlroy, Brooks Kepka. Nine out of ten times you're going to get Brooks Kepka. I mean, I'm, you're not getting the argument out of me. I, I, I agree with you. Let's take a quick break in the conversation with Joel Glad to remind you about the Titleist T-Series irons. From the tour's best to the best in your foursome, Titleist T-Series irons are designed to help discerning players at every level go lower than ever before. From the precision of T-100, the distance of T-200, the forgiveness of T-300, T-Series is for players who know the difference between wishing you could and knowing you can. Visit Titleist.com to learn more about the T-Series irons and whether it's the tour level shaping and feel of the T-100, the powerful playability of the T-200, or the maximum speed and forgiveness of T-300 T-Series is a power-packed lineup of performance, but all the innovation of the irons goes in for only one reason one reason only to help Titleist players put lower numbers on the card visit Titleist.com to learn more about the T-Series irons now back to Joel I was going to ask you you mentioned 2019 you know looking back and again it just wrapped up a day ago but just looking back on 2019 in five years from now is it just going to be the Tiger win at the Masters that we remember is that really going to be the highlight of this season for everybody when you look back on it 5, 10, 20 years from now there's no question in my mind there's no question in my mind. I've never seen a golfer shut down the rest of the season as hard as Tiger <laughs> shut down. The I'm done. That's it. <laughs> I'm good, guys. I am good. And you know what? To his credit, he was. That's right. He That's was. it. That's all he needed. That that was. I was I was too young to really feel and get into 1986. You know, Jack winning the Masters. That day in April, the first of all, the Masters, Augusta National, so much credit to them for getting those guys out early split tees and threes so that we could actually see this thing finish right. rather than just be like, well, let's see if we can. I mean, the decision of the golf year, maybe the golf decade, was Augusta National splitting the tees, going in threes, getting that thing in before the weather hit. Unbelievable decision. Take some serious stones. Next, like, for the rest of my life, Shane, I will remember getting my kids, my three boys. Now, my youngest is, is a little too young to understand. I have a seven, five, and two-year-old. And I got the oldest two boys, Henry and Sam, and, and we ate some pancakes. And then we sat there, and it was the first sporting event that my seven- and five-year-old have sat through and watched with me and cheered with me watching. I'll remember it for the rest of my life. And it was because of who was playing and, and the gravity of the situation of him winning that championship, that tournament. And – it's so embarrassing. I cried in large part watching him hug his son. Right. And I'm sitting there with my sons and they're cheering and my five-year-old's going, tiger, tiger. <laughs> I, I mean, it was one of my favorite moments that I've had in my entire life because of what I got to experience with my kids. It wasn't just that I'm a big fan of this, this guy, Tiger Woods. I will always remember that moment. And so if someone asks me about 2019, just period, 25 years from now, that's the moment I'm going to remember from, from this year, whether it's the golf world or, or the other golfers or so on and so forth. It was that impactful. I don't care what he did the rest of the season. I hope he's healthy moving forward. And I think that we're going to get him maybe and kind of spits and starts and we'll get some elite golf out of him for the next four or five years, I hope once or twice a year. Um, but man, what he gave to us that April morning 
was some of the best stuff that I've ever seen in my life. And so for me, there's, that is hands down the easiest answer of the entire interview. That's the most memorable. That's the moment Tiger Woods winning the Masters. Well, and you personally, I mean, you know, golf in 2019 will be something you remember for a long time. You helped us out with the Fox coverage, did an unbelievable job at the Opens, doing interviews and features. You know, you, 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 we get a chance to go to Charleston, we do the U.S. Women's Open, and then we get to Pebble Beach. And you're, I mean, you were around, you know, you're around famous coaches and famous players and peers. And, you know, you talk to coaches all the time. I know there's been certain coaches that have called you when you've been in my car before and you've somewhat bragged as you showed me who's ringing you in your phone but you know you're sitting on set getting these guys coming through that you watch week in and week out on the golf course and I'm, I'm assuming players you admire how much fun was the 2019 part of the business side for you where you got a chance to be a part of the golf coverage and got to interview all these guys yeah I don't know. I'll always remember that as well I, I mean it was uh, I don't know really how to put it into words it was it was one of the most um, fulfilling work years of my life in large part because of the golf and because of of what I thought we all achieved together Shane I mean I thought that the Fox broadcast was amazing and and it was the culmination of a lot of years of work I had done the digital stuff um you know Mark Loomis asks me to come aboard and 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 do the interview interviews you started doing digital with me at Chambers Bay you know, and to see where you've gone is, is unbelievable. And, and to just help that broadcast and get that broadcast into a point where, you know, it was critically acclaimed and, and rightly so as one of the better telecasts of the entire golf season. I'll always be proud of that. There's no doubt. And I know I had a very small part in that, but you guys were amazing. Our technical crew was amazing. I'll always remember, you know, 2019, U.S. Open at Pebble Beach is a huge success for all of the people that I'm really close to. I was so happy for you and Joe and Paul and Brad and 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 Curtis and Mark Loomis, our producer, and Steve Byam, our director, and everybody. We have an army of people out there that we've seen <laughs> every year now for five years. An army of people, so and they people. work their they work their guts out and. You know, for the first time, for that to be acknowledged as like, hey, that was really good from from the people in the golf world. That was a really fulfilling part of this year. And then just from sitting down with those guys, man, I'm, I'm a golf fan, you know, and I'm a junkie. I think people now that listen to the pod understand that I'm, I'm a golf junkie. I was very anxious. I was very nervous. I've told you this several times uh, <clears throat> just as a friend. I was I was a little bit out of my comfort zone and I didn't, I didn't know how golf fans would react seeing a college football analyst um, sit there and talk with those players. I didn't know how the players would react. And, and I, I did start to feel fairly comfortable when basically the very first interview that I did all week long was with Ricky Fowler. And the first thing he asks before we're on the air is, Hey, how do you think my Cowboys would this year? And I was like, okay. Everybody asked you about their football team. It was unbelievable. I'd ask you every night, say, who asked you this time? That's right. So, um, man, I enjoyed it thoroughly. I can't wait for next season, um, uh, next year. I hope that I'm uh, able to, to join in the same fashion. I think that that's the plan. Um, but man, it was, it was, uh, fulfilling to say the least yeah it was fantastic yeah the nice thing about 2020 is we're actually going to get to do our little golf trip that we've uh we've somehow we've somehow finagled into being a part of our meet our media day we didn't get to do it this year because we were at the u.s amateur uh, all week obviously in 2018 for the at pebble beach for the am and victor hoblin one and so you know loomis and everybody was said you guys have seen pebble you guys are fine and so normally you and i try to get out there and play golf for three or four days around media day and we're going to do it yeah, Wingfoot. We're gonna play a this few year, somewhat decent year, places. We got to figure it out what the what the rota is this year. We've got Wingfoot, and then I mean, can we can we squeeze Pine Valley? Does that even is that even possible? Jeez, you're dropping the number one course in the country in our trip already. Twist my arm. We'll try to make it work. People are gonna hate us and they're gonna be jealous, but it's okay. It's that's the that's the, one of the biggest perks about doing golf 
is you do get to play a lot of golf on the road. I think that's something you and I had a great chance of encountering this year at, uh, together. And it's not always – it's not – listen, it's not always – Pine Valley and Wingfoot. I mean, we'll, you and I will play anywhere. We don't care. We we, we played we anywhere. played Culver Academy nine hole course. Anywhere I am in, I am in to see it right now. So we talked a little golf. Obviously, we've got college football on the horizon. I was looking at your rankings. I was looking at some of the videos you've done the last few days. And, and make sure, as I mentioned, check out Joel's Instagram, Joel underscore Clat. He's posting a lot of preview stuff there. Players, Heisman watch, all that stuff, and it's it's great video. I, I need to ask you this because I've, I've gotten to the point with college football where I just basically pencil in who's going to be there at the end. Is this going to be another mm-hmm. bama Clemson year where basically those are the two teams and it's everybody else? I think I think so. Uh, Clemson is incredible. They've got six players on offense back that were all conference. They've got a quarterback that's likely Heisman Trophy winner. They won the national championship a year ago. they got to replace a lot of leadership on defense. And then Bama is, is going to be as good as they've ever been. Um, Tua at quarterback has been tremendous. And they've evolved on offense to the point where they threw 52 touchdown passes last year. That led the country. <clears throat> I don't think that you would ever have predicted that Nick Saban's Alabama team was going <laughs> to lead the country in touchdown passes. But that's what they did a year ago. And so just points to the explosiveness that they have. They've got one of the best wide receivers in the country and Jerry Judy. Um, it's, it's hard for me to say that any other team is going to play for the national championship other than those two. If there were a few, here would be like my short list of four teams that I think have a chance not only to make the playoff, but potentially win a game in that semifinal and, and, and hoist the national championship. I'll start with Oklahoma. I think that that story could be one of the best stories in college football is that Jalen Hurts transfers as a graduate from Alabama I would love nothing more. I mean, if you were to say, like, what would you want to see most out of this season? It would be Jalen Hurts plays Alabama in the college football playoff. (laughs) That's what I want to see. I want to see Oklahoma play Alabama with Jalen Hurts as quarterback. They've also got a new defensive coordinator. So they were the worst pass defense in the country last year, 128 out of 128. My whole contention is is that if they're just average, it's always like, you know those players on, on, on tour where you're like, Man, if he could just – if he was just an average driver right, of the golf right, ball, right. he would be – if he could just – if he was just an average putter, he would be incredible. <laughs> that happens all the time. Well, that's the, that's the same thing with Oklahoma. If they were just average defensively, they might win a national championship. Alex Grinch is their new, new defensive coordinator for uh, Lincoln Riley, their head coach. We'll see about that. Michigan, I think, is going to be right there. They've got a new offense coordinator. His name is Josh, Josh Gaddis. He comes from Alabama. Um, they've got their quarterback back, their best offensive line that they've had under Harbaugh, great wide receiver core, and they always play good defense, so Michigan could be there. They're my pick in the Big Ten. And then two teams that I would say are sleepers, um, and, and sleepers in the sense that I don't have them winning their conference, but they're the teams that would finish runner-up to Oklahoma and Michigan, and that's Texas and Ohio State. I'm a big believer in Texas. Love their quarterback, Sam Ellinger. Um, they tend to play quality defense under Todd Orlando, their coordinator. And then Ohio State, you can never rule them out with the type, type of talent that they put on the field. Uh, Ryan Day is replacing Urban Meyer. That's a tough task, but those are the teams. So those are the seven teams right there, Shane, that I think uh, have a shot. And then the last team I would bring up is Georgia. I think Georgia is a team that is really good, can have their quarterback, have a good defense. They can run the football. They've had the lead twice on Alabama late into games in the last two seasons. We're not able to close the deal. So maybe they get over that hump and actually beat the Crimson Tide. You know what uh, I was so excited about doing at this this juncture right here? You know what? I was I was fired up about this. I've been thinking about it all week. I was going to say, hey, you forgot, say, Ari- you forgot hey, Arizona. You forgot Arizona, and they just beat Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> you texted me. I texted you on a – on what uh sunday morning and i said well that wasn't ideal and you wrote colorado yeah. lost to hawaii a couple of years ago and finished one in 11 and so uh i'm 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 gonna say maybe not the greatest start for the wildcats not a great start oh my goodness but it was exciting i mean i'm sure you were on the edge of your seat you know watching khalil say get tackled at the one trying to force overtime oh my gosh that is just 
The Pac-12 is in all sorts of trouble. Oh, it's just, it's just so, it's depressing, it's brutal, and it's, and the problem is, is it's unexpected. I mean, you know what's happening, you prepare yourself for it, and you see it happen, and they're 11-point favorites, and I was going, I don't know about that. You and I have talked a little bit about this, and, you know, if you can, you can do it in, in two minutes, I, I love the way you speak on this, and I've asked you this a whole bunch at dinners and stuff about Bill Belichick and Nick Saban, I say, why are they so much better than everybody else at what they do? And I've always found it very interesting when you talk about it because I feel like you have kind of nailed the, the correct answer on that. Well, it, it's, a, it's a long answer, but I'll try to be as short as possible. They, um, they are the most detail-oriented people and coaches that I know. And, and those details have a sense of urgency behind them that no other coach has, and maybe Dabo Sweeney at this point. So everything involved in their program is like thought over and cared for to the 10th degree, to the 100th degree. You know, there's a story of a defensive back, you know, uh, playing for Bill Belichick. I can't remember his name. Maybe it was McCourty. I'm not sure. But anyways, he says, Bill Belichick will tell you things that no other coach would even think to tell you, <clears throat> which was, hey, when we're going you know, left to right or right to left today, the wind is going to be into the quarterback's face. So I want you to be in trail technique all day when we're going that direction. When the offense is going that direction, I want you to, to trail the wide receiver because I think that most of the passes are going to be slightly underthrown. Guess what happened that day? He had like three PBUs, pass breakups, and an interception all on underthrown balls going that direction. So it's, it's like every, everything matters for these guys. You know, nothing, nothing is left to chance in, in their entire program, and they are just tireless workers. Um, there's also an element of, of evaluation and development that has to take place that I think is, is incredible for those two, those two guys. Um, they will evaluate well, and then they will also develop players to allow those players to use their strengths. Bill Belichick and Nick Saban rarely will take a guy and say, hey, you, you have to do this just because this is what's required in my system. More times than not, they're going to develop a guy to a point that he has a certain skill set, and then they'll try to use that skill set to their advantage during the game plan. Bill Belichick does this better than anybody. They'll, they'll morph and adjust their game plan and their players and their lineup in order to win the game. Nick Saban has done that. I just talked about how he's adjusted offensively. In college football, you've got to score points. You've got to do it quickly. And so they've gone from a run-first team to a bit of a pass-first team offensively and to a team that will throw 52 touchdown passes, which led the country last year. Last year, Bill Belichick in the Super Bowl came in and played a totally different defense against Sean McVay and the Los Angeles Rams, and the Rams never adjusted. They had played man coverage most of the year, and then they come in and play zone coverage. So it's the ability to adjust, it's the ability to evaluate, it's the ability to develop, and it's the ability to have a sense of urgency over every minute detail that possibly can come up with your team. Uh, to give you the longest two-minute answer that I can. I you, honestly, I thought you kind of nailed it. I, I feel like it was a, it was it was well put, and uh, you went over two for a little bit, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna <laughs> a little I'm bit. Not, and I'm not gonna dock you there. Well, that the the last thing I and and again, this is you know we talk a little bit of golf, talk some college football, but it's a it's a hot button topic. But I feel like you're a great person to speak on it, and I really just wanted to get your thoughts personally as a friend, and uh, and, and figured why not just do it on the podcast so other people can hear it. You know, the Andrew Luck news broke over the weekend, mm -hmm. and it blew up. And, of course, there were people that had hot takes on it on one side and people that went the complete other direction. I saw what you wrote. You know, you were you said, you know, I, I, I wish him all the, the luck in the world and, and health and everything. I mean, you're a guy that went through this stuff. I mean, you were a quarterback. You had a lot of concussions in your day. I mean, it's something that you still battle with now. So I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on a guy like Andrew Luck hanging it up earlier than really anybody we've ever seen in that position. Well, I think everybody started to to glom on to this term of like he was mentally fatigued or he was just, you know, tired and, and didn't want to do it mentally anymore. And people start saying like, 
well, of course, he's just going to take his money and ride off into the sunset. But he was conflicted. He's been very conflicted. It is, you know, even for players at that level, it is a love-hate relationship with the sport. Even for, for players that, you know, would do anything to be on the field until they're 50, those players still have to deal with the pain associated, the physical pain associated with playing this violent sport. And I say violent, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Lots of sports are violent, and and I understood that as a player. I don't begrudge the sport of football for what I went through physically. I knew that that's what I was going to go through physically. Um, so what, for for Andrew, this guy has has had the game ripped away from him from his health standpoint. He has battled in the last six years, uh, uh, you know, the labor issue in his shoulder. He's had a, a a pancreas issue. He's had a, uh, he's had an oblique issue. He's got this, at least one concussion, probably more. He's had this ankle issue. This takes a toll on you where you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, am I going to have any, not just some, any quality of life moving forward? And he took the step to step away from the game. Not everybody is Tom Brady and is going to stay healthy until they're 42 years old. And, and Andrew played the game in a style in which put his body in harm's way. And you saw the, the pain in his eyes when that picture that I thought was just so good of him at the podium. And you could see the pain in his eyes and, and the conflicted nature of knowing what he needed to do for his own health and well-being. And yet how that cut against everything in his fiber and his, and his being of what he wanted to do. I think Andrew Luck would desperately love to continue to play football. He just can't. Right. He just can't do it anymore. And that is a painful place to be for anybody. Any of us who played competitive sports for any amount of time, whether it was you were done in junior high or in high school or in college or in a professional setting, the day that you realize that there's a realization that you either can't or are done, and all of us are told by either our bodies or somebody else, like, this is it. You're, you're, it's over. The, the pain in that moment is immense. And I'm not talking about physical pain. I'm talking about emotional pain. Right. This thing that has identified you for your entire life is coming to an end. And it's coming to an end because, he, Shane, he physically can't right. do it anymore. And that's why my heart just went out, out to him. I like, I feel terrible for him. I'm, I'm, I think that the fans in Indianapolis were a disgrace for booing these hot take artists that are throwing, you know, jabs at Andrew Luck and, and, and hopes that they're going to get a thousand likes on Twitter. They can, I mean, um, they can pound sand. Right. And thank God for Troy Aikman because Troy Aikman <laughs> is top roped you know, the one that we're talking about and, and he top roped him to the point where I was like, yeah, I'm satisfied with that. <laughs> well, it's, it's, you know, we just live in a world. I mean, you kind of said it to start the show. I mean, you, we live in a world where the instant reaction always seems to be the dumbest. I mean, if, if everybody took a moment and, and just took a big breath and sat back and said, okay, Let's let's think about it from his perspective because I was talking to my sister on the phone on Sunday, and I mean you know I I do feel like the general public the the ability to make sense of professional athletes is to try and I know it's hard to equate it to yourself you know and if you were working at a place and you hated your job and you hated the hours and you were exhausted and you felt like you got home and you didn't get to t spend time with your kids because you were going to sleep because you had to go back to the office. And at one point you went, I got to change jobs. I can't keep doing this. You know, it, that makes sense to everybody in the world. There's not one person that would look at you and go, no, nah, that's a terrible idea. You should continue at the place you're yeah. at. Like not one person would say right. that. And it's just, uh, it's interesting that, right. we, that that because of fandom and fantasy and, you know, well, our and selfishness, yeah, we, I, those, I mean, I wish we could be doing that, that right? It out of either, there's two reasons why you're going to have a hot take on Andrew Luck selfishness so if you're a fan and you're like you owe me you know like <laughs> i want to see you play for my team so it's a selfishness or jealousy right or 
you've made so much money that I can't stand you and the decisions you make must please me because you're rich. Well, both of those areas to be as a human is just nasty and, and quite frankly wrong. And, and unfortunately, those are the areas that we see most on Twitter. That they float around a lot. To, to Joel Klatt's point, just be on Instagram. Just, just go look at pictures of Andrew yeah. Luck with like some unicorns around him in the background and a comment that says, <laughs> good luck in the rest of your life. And you're like, wow, that's a real positive thing. That's very nice of him to do that. Yeah. Hey, just rehab it again, guys. XOXO. <laughs> You'll be great. Um, so you will not only be a part of the new noon Eastern game on Fox, but we're going to see you in, in the new studio show as well, right? You'll be floating in and out of that. I know everybody at Fox is really excited. Yeah, everyone's very excited about the studio show. That'll kick off at 11 Eastern, big noon kickoff uh, with uh, Urban Meyer, Reggie Bush, Matt Leiner, Brady Quinn. Um, did a preview show with them. They're excellent. You'll, you're going to love them if you're a college football fan. They're relevant. And I'll be on every week just via satellite from my game to do a quick segment. And then when they come on the road for the Red River game, which we'll do again, and then Michigan-Ohio State, which we'll do again, um, I'll be a part of those shows. So I, I could not be more excited with the direction that Fox is taking college football and the investment that they've had in college football. I'm certainly grateful for it. And uh, I can't wait for the season to kick off. You uh you broke seventy this year playing golf for the first time is that right? I did, man, four times. Four I did times. It, I'm so happy, yes. Oh man, I the, the the text I would get from you when you would shoot seventy <laughs> were always my favorite. I'm I actually kind of miss those. <laughs> I don't want to be well, the negative and, and Twitter person. Did you win this one time or two? And this was before I ever broke. Yeah, that. I I saw it once um, up close and you personal. You witnessed it once up close, like up close and personal. And guys. Bacon no hittered me like so not in a bad way. I'm not saying he jinxed me. For about the last, I we were playing. Uh, this is, I'm not even going to say where we were playing. We were playing around, and I I was playing really well. And for the last eight holes, Bacon wouldn't even look at me. <laughs> well, you, you wouldn't even look at. You me. hit it like a foot on seventeen. For birdie, and I knew when you made that, I knew well, where I you stood. To go birdie, birdie, in order to break seven, uh, 70. So right. I'm standing in the fairway on seventeen, and I'm like, "Well, I'm, you know, this is it." And so I, I flagged it. I just went right after a, a tucked pin and pulled off the shot. And then the 18th was a par five, and so I'm like, "Oh man, we got it! Like I've got a, I've got a chance." <laughs> and I hit one of the best second shots. I had never played the course before. And I may have gotten a, a touch of touch of bad information. It was a blind second shot. I hit it right where I wanted. Let's just Fifty minutes in, and we finally get a caddy blame. I figured that was going to happen before. That's fifty minutes. This is a new record for us. I, I tell you what, caddies. Oh goodness, that's Joel Clatt. Follow him on Twitter at Joel Clatt and on Instagram at Joel underscore Clatt. One of the best in the business. Have a great season. And uh, hey, you know what's Thanks, sad? Buddy. I want I want somehow for you to have a game in Arizona, but it doesn't look like that's ever going to happen. <laughs> it does not look like it's no, gonna it's happen. not going to happen. That's the a territorial bummer. cup. I don't think Gus and I are going to be in. They're probably one. not going to watch ASU U of A. It's probably not going to happen. Well, we'll see you on TV. <laughs> All right, bud. It looks like I'm a wreck. It's in the hole. A big, big thanks to my friend Joel Glad for spending that much time. I know he's very busy this week getting set for the college football season. Make sure you follow him on all the social media outlets and check out on Saturday the new studio show, 11 a.m. And then Joel, Gus, get going at noon Eastern. It's going to be a whole new experience having the game of the week happen right around lunchtime. I know you'll enjoy it. We at Fox are really excited. And I hope you guys enjoyed the 2019 season. With golf winding down and me being on the road less, you're going to get more Clubhouse podcasts. So make sure you follow at the Clubhouse Pod on Twitter, at the Clubhouse Pod on Instagram. You can follow me at Shane Bacon on Twitter and Instagram as well. Big thanks to Titleist. We'll be back next week. <laughs>